بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على المبعوث رحمة للعالمين وعلى آله وصحبه وبارك وسلم تسليما كثيرا إلى يوم الدين أما بعد الحمد لله we all here for one purpose we all here because we want to follow the path of Allah سبحانه وتعالى the path of سلوك the path that has been designated by the علماء to make us closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the path that leads to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala now this path has been described in various different ways by the different people who have taken to this path many many people over the centuries have taken to this path we have a very long heritage and very long history and each one of them based on their experience they would describe it in different ways and you could see that this is sometimes very personal to each individual because of the perspective they were coming from and what they were on the path for, what their motivations were and what their achievements in the path was. So for example, you had one of the, some of the greatest ulama of the subcontinent. One that comes to mind is Sayyid Sulaiman Nadwi. Sayyid Sulaiman Nadwi was a prolific writer. He was considered to be one of the one of the star students of uh, Shibli Nomani who was considered to be one of the great thinkers and writers of the subcontinent as well and they may have been seen initially as a bit modernist a bit uh, liberal they may have been seen like that but by certain individuals uh, Sayyid Suleiman Nadwi was originally from Bihar uh, from Bihar in India and Shibli Nomani I believe he was from UP but this was the western, uh, the, the eastern side of the UP. There's the e uh, UP is very long. It's a very long state. You have the eastern side of it where some great ulama, that's where Nadwa, uh, Darlum Nadwatul Ulama is based. That's where Nadwatul Ulama is based basically when we say um, Lucknow and Sarai Mir um, and Banaras and all of these there's been a number of ulama from that side and then there's the western part of UP where you have Muzaffarnagar, Darlum, Deoban, Saharanpur, uh, Muradabad and so on which is closer to Delhi so you have these two sides of UP but UP has probably been one of the most prolific states in the last century and a half in terms of producing ulama and sulaha as well so Sayyid Sulaiman Nadwi he finally came to Hakim al-Ummat Maulana Ashraf Ali Thanwi Rahimahullah and he asked him what this tasawwuf was all about now this was towards the end of his life or end of his career as such so he asked Hakim al-Ummat what is this tasawwuf on about because he noticed that there's lots of the great other great ulama of the subcontinent they're all into tasawwuf they're all on the path so he decided he became curious Allah gave him the tawfiq so he's a very accomplished worldly scholar of the deen. So he's very prolific. His, his lectures were amazing. Uh, he was sent to, uh, he, he went to uh, Madras, which is South India, where there's a Christian hub, because a number of the great priests were coming there and converting many, many Muslims. So he went and gave a series of khutbas, bayans, which are now published as khutbat Madras. And the way he's been, uh, been able to explain the position of Muhammad and the deen of Islam 
in comparison to the other deens and the real position of Isa salam, I haven't seen any better work than that. So a really prolific author in that sense and a writer and a speaker, but he wasn't on the path of Tasawwuf. So when he came to Mawlana Shafali Tanwi, he said, what is this Tasawwuf all about? So Mawlana Shafali Tanwi, look at his response. You may have heard many responses and definitions of Tasawwuf, but he said in this case, he said, Tasawwuf is self-effacement. Self-effacement, self-annihilation. Basically, that a person not do anything for themselves, but do everything for Allah. So a person does everything for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because they recognize that the value is all for Allah. He's the only one that will remain forever. We're a transient beings. So self-effacement, so anything that we do from the work that we do, it's all a, that's basically a level of ibadat, ubudiyah. That we're servants here, we're supposed to do everything for the master. Because that's the way even servant-master relationships in this world work as. The servant, he makes no money unless he's a paid servant. But at the end of the day, whatever he does is not to his profit, it's for the master's profit. When it comes to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we are his servants more than they could be any other servants in this world. Because in this world, when there's a servant, they are actually captured or captivated. They're done under force and obligation and compulsion. Whereas with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he is definitely our master in every sense of the word because we owe everything to him. So tasawwuf is self-effacement, which is that one always wants to place Allah before himself. And anybody who cannot do that will never attain Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this is one concept of tasawwuf, but it is so perfectly a description of the path. Because if a person doesn't put Allah for, uh, at the fore in everything that they do, then clearly there's no way that we can reach Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because Allah wants to be the biggest in our life because He is the biggest in reality. So why should we try to change and obscure that reality? Anybody who puts the reality as the reality that Allah is the greatest, He is the most majestic, He is the one who's owed everything, I'm only a servant, then we're doing exactly what Allah is and what His reality is. And because we're in conformance with that, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will begin to love us and He'll begin to assist us. So it's essentially all about self-effacement in that sense. Self-effacement means if I'm doing an act, I'm doing it for Allah. I'm not doing it for myself. And even when we do things for ourselves, we're doing it for the sake of Allah. So when we're eating, we're doing it because of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When we're doing something, we're doing it for the sake of Allah. So when we're eating, I'm eating because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made this a system why we eat. Now, of course, you don't have to sit each time and make that kind of intention. But it will be that intention if we've trained ourselves to be like that. So every time we sit to eat, that's the way we will think. So, for example, I want to buy a car, for example. And then I became busy in my life, so I forgot about the car. Then I drove out, so I stayed at home in the local community for a while. Then one day I drove out to the motorway and then suddenly I, started, I saw that car again. I said, oh, it reminded me, I need to buy the car. So where if we train ourselves and we have a real serious desire, then we will see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala everywhere. Then we will have the right kind of intention for that. So the objective of this path is to bring change in our life. That's the whole objective. Now one thing we have to remember, there's lots of people when they start doing the dhikr, <clears throat> they, so many of them will write back in their first or second rabita and the third one and so on sometimes. That we're doing everything, the tasbih is fine, you know, the Qur'an tilawat I can do, I missed it one day or something like that. But the muraqabah, I'm just not getting any concentration in there yet. 
or I can concentrate for one minute or two minutes and then after that I can't do it anymore. Well, nobody said it was going to be easy. You know, nobody promised it would be easy. If that was the case, then, you know, you just sit down and start doing it. It's a training where if you keep doing it for a few weeks, then finally it will come. But there are also other conditions of that, which is that we abstain from sin. Committing sins is going to affect our muraqabah. It's literally like a fight that's taking place. The more sins we do, it's going to affect our muraqabah. Then we're going to have to do that much muraqabah to overcome the desire for the sin that we commit. So it's this one thing or the other. Now, if we've been sinning for many, many years, it's going to take some time for that sin to be totally eradicated because the nafs just still has that desire for it. He knows the taste of it. He knows the pleasure of it. And so whenever there's even a spark of that, whenever we see anything similar to it, there's always going to be there's always going to be something that will affect that. There's no doubt about that. So, <clears throat> the objective of this path is to change our lives. And what you have to realize is that the longest journey in this world, or the shortest journey in this world, longest journey, I want to go to Umrah. That's a long journey. Short journey, I want to go to the masjid. <clears throat> if I sit at my house and I say, I want to go to the masjid, I have this desire to go and pray at the masjid, but I don't put my shoes on and get out, it's not going to happen. I want to go to the majlis, but I don't put my shoes on and I don't go out. What's going to happen? Nothing. Journeys, we know from the rule of this world that journeys can only be done by taking a step towards it. Only by steps can you take a journey. So if we think that, okay, we've become bet to a sheikh and we've become connected and associated and he's given us a prescription, he's given us a regimen of dhikr, etc., <laughs> And we're going to just sit there thinking, oh, that's all great, great. I've got a great idea in my mind that I want, I've got this desire, but I'm not doing anything about it. It's not going to happen. So <clears throat> the longest to the shortest journey, it can't be accomplished without setting out for it, without taking the steps, without moving oneself. That is, that's just the normal thing of the world. I mean, if anybody thinks otherwise, they're misguided. Yes, exceptions happen. Miracles take place where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala just changes somebody just like that. But <clears throat> this world is not a place of magic. So if that happens, that's, that's an anomaly when that happens. Allah has that ability. But otherwise, it is us who are going to have to try. And remember, when we miss a dhikr, when we miss something, then what's going to happen is the next day it's going to become easier to miss it until it becomes a habit. And many people, they, you know that when they don't send you a, a, a rabita, you know that they're waiting for a good week. You literally, you know that. Otherwise, why wouldn't they send it to you? If everything's going well, you can tell the people who it's going well with. Because they send you something. People who are not sending you, you just expect that they've just had a downfall and they're waiting to pick up. It's like, for example, if you have diabetes, you have to go to the, the hospital for checkups, blood sugar checkups, to so the doctor. And then when he looks at your result, then he may modify your medicine. So what happens sometimes is, that if you haven't been taking a lot of precaution and your blood sugar has been high, you don't want to go then for your next checkup because it's going to show high and he's going to want you to eat medicine. So what you think to yourself is, let me have a good two, three weeks or a month where I take care of myself. Then when I go, my, low blood, uh, my blood sugar will show lower. So then he, he won't adjust the medicine too much. I won't have to eat more medicine, you know, whatever. But then it never happens. Do you understand? It's just one of those things. That's the matter of self-discipline. So the whole purpose of having a sheikh is to inform him whether you've been good or bad. That's the whole problem. The sheikh is not there just to hear basharat. 
the, the Shaykh is not there just to hear about the good side of things. He's here to hear the bad. Look, I've been very bad this week. I'm really honest. You know, even if you have to say that 10 times in a row, say that. That is better than not contacting the Shaykh. Because every time you do say that 10 times, I mean, eventually you're going to feel bad yourself that look what's happening. I mean, every week I'm giving him the same bad report that I haven't done anything last week. But otherwise it will then stretch on for months and months and months and eventually it will be lost until some big event happens in your life, right, in our life. And then we'll think, oh, we need to get back, right? And then we'll overcome that. So the Rabita is extremely important. It's extremely important. You know, before it used to be where you have to go to the Shaykh, you have to sit down, get a majlis, uh, be among, you know, 100 people, 200 people that are trying to tell him the same thing, wait your turn, so sometimes wait hours. You're going to have to really sit down sometimes for two days to wait to see him, right? But nowadays, the, the Rabita is very easy. You just write a letter and send it, or you just uh, uh, send an email. It's simple. You don't even have to take paper or anything. You just literally just send an email that, unfortunately, I've just been very lacks this week and we haven't been able to do it so that is very very important is to keep it up every two weeks at least every two weeks at least and if you think you can every one week then that's also fine uh, just don't expect a return uh, a response each time so the other thing then is that the only reason we're sitting here is because the mashaykh have placed this responsibility on us that we need to do this we know our own benefits in this regard we're all weak in this regard, but we all, we all want to try, we all want to get closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The bay'ah has its benefits, because you then become associated and you get the barakah. We get the barakah of the path and all the mashayikh and the sunnah of this transmission up to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam of making tawbah in this way. Literally the bay'ah is a tawbah, that's all we read. We read some salawat on the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, we read the shahadatayn, we read the imaniyah just to reaffirm our faith. That's all we do. And then after that we say, Astaghfirullah, Rabbi min kulli dhammi wa atubu ilayh. And then that's it. That's the whole thing. It's just a sunnah of the transmission that the shaykh did to his shaykh and his shaykh, his shaykh, until the Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. But although that will provide a certain type of benefit, warm the heart slightly, the real benefit is going to come when you act on that and move forward with it. You can't expect to just take medicine and you stuff yourself with all the harmful things. That's basically what it is. Staying away from sins is the highest objective of the sawuf. Inscribe that in our minds that the highest, the highest objective of the sawuf and this path is nothing but staying away from sins. Because when a person stays away from sins, all the barakat will come anyway. If you're chasing after barakat, karamat, unveilings, miracles, and not worried about the sins we commit, then we're lost. Because karamat, etc., they are not an objective anyway. Flying around and doing weird things and strange things that you hear, that, that, that's not the objective. Those are side things that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala indulges certain people in. Right? To become famous, none of this is the objective. The objective is that we can live a life that is without sin because that is more difficult to do than to actually do good deeds. To stay away from sin is a higher achievement than to do extra nawafil. As long as a person is fulfilling the fara'id, obviously. So that is the highest, highest objective of tasawwuf. And that means that whether we're with people or we're alone, wherever we are, at home or abroad, wherever we are, we are... We have a companion which is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who we are fearful of. So whether we're on holiday, 
whether we are where nobody is going to see us, that, that it matters for us to look good in front of, it doesn't matter. If we have that presence of mind and that consciousness that we're not even going to sin here, we're not going to set foot wrong here, then that means we are really on the path. That is the main objective of this. <clears throat> what helps in this regard, of course, is the dhikr. As I said, it's the two enemies. The dhikr is the... Uh, it's, it's like dhikr is the enemy of the shaitan, of sins. The more dhikr you do, the more you push out the possibility of sin from our heart. The more sin we do, the more the heart becomes filled with it and it pushes the dhikr and the light out of it. So we have to do as much... All the bad deeds we may have done in the world before, we have to do that much dhikr to be able to really be steadfast. If we think that we do some dhikr and then it benefits us somewhat, but then after that we lose... Well, obviously, we've been accustomed to a particular way for such a long time. We haven't been accustomed to doing serious dhikr in connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah hasn't been in our life, meaning from our perspective, for such a long time. So how is that going to be possible? So... When the heart becomes illuminated by the dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then it becomes easier to abstain from sin. But that dhikr has to be kept up so that the strength in the heart is kept up. We have to keep making dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that Allah keep us away from the sin. And we keep doing the dhikr. So dua and dhikr. So when we do dhikr, but then we also do dua because we're then confessing our weakness to Allah. Allah loves it when a servant confesses his weakness. That's why he said that dua is ibadat. Because that's when a, a person in his dua, although he's asking something apparently for himself, it's like a selfish move, but it's considered worship because we're doing what, what, what Allah wants us to do, which is to remember him, to ask him, to make him the one that you ask everything from. So it's ibadat, although it's selfish it seems. So eventually when a person continues to do dhikr and continues to ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, a time will come when Allah will become his protector directly, when he becomes a wali of Allah, he becomes the hands with which he touches. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala helps him in terms of everything, his sight, his ears, his hearing, and everything Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala becomes close to him. He becomes more in control and they say, okay, fine, this guy, this, this, this servant of mine, this, uh, the, the, you know, the, the, this, uh, this servant of mine has proven themselves that they really want me and they've got nobody else, I will become theirs now. Allah is very jealous in that, in that, in that sense of it. Allah is very, has a lot of self-dignity. That if somebody's going to call on to someone else, okay, fine, you go with that person. But when a person has shown that, no, I just want you, I am yours, I am declaring and trying to prove my faithfulness to you, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will make that person a wali. When you try to, when we try to make Allah uh, when we try to become the wali of Allah, that it's only you that we want to befriend, then Allah will befriend us. And that's what you call wilaya. So there is a struggle in the beginning, but it's supposed to get easy afterwards. It's just about hitting that mark and crossing that threshold. So the objective of dhikr is not that we gain unveilings and kashf and karamat and miracles and so on. But it, it, uh, or we overcome our enemies, or we become stronger, or people respect us, it opens doors for us in this world. That's not the objective of it. The objective of it is that we gain purity in our heart and connect ourselves to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and we stop committing sin. That is the most important thing here. 
Now, we don't believe in any tasawwuf, any majlis, any tasawwuf in which there is no discussion of abstaining from sin. Where it's all about amazing stories. It's all about extraordinary accomplishments. That's not what tasawwuf is all about. If there's no discussion about refraining from sin and a becoming full adherent of the sharia, then that's not tasawwuf. That is what tasawwuf is supposed to be. People can call any set of laws or rules or practices in whatever they want. They can call it whatever they want. Some people may call certain types of practices tasawwuf. They may consider certain types of acts which are tasawwuf. But if they do not include remembrance of Allah and abstain, abstinence from sins, and sins are not encouraged to be abstained from, then that is not tasawwuf. That is something else. Once a Sufi said to a very wealthy landowner, but a massive villa or palace or whatever you want to call it, they had a meeting and uh, this Sufi der dervish, he says to him, he said, you know, you're a true Zahid. Zahid is a concept of abstaining from the world, focus on the hereafter abstinence from the world when he said this made this statement to this wealthy person he didn't mean it in abstinence from the world uh, the dunya uh, sorry uh, focus on the hereafter he took the other meaning of abstinence from something so he said you're the true zahid he said how can you call me a zahid when i've got all of this dunya around me and you are sufficing on the smallest thing he said, no, 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 you are the Zahid. He says, how can I be the Zahid? I've got this palace, I've got all of these lands, I eat the best of foods, I don't stay away from the dunya. You're the one who's staying away from the dunya, so how can I be the Zahid? He said, I'll tell you the reason why you are the Zahid is because you have sufficed with all of this, which is actually very insignificant, very small, extremely small compared to the bounties of the hereafter. So you are doing zuhud of something much greater by sufficing with something very little. Whereas my focus is the hereafter, all that abundance of Jannah, Jannatul Firdaus, which expands the heavens and the earth. And that's my focus. That's my focus. How can I be a Zahid when that's what I want? So he twisted the term around to give a lesson to the person that your Zuhud is that although you think you have all of this, but it's insignificant compared to the abundance of the hereafter. So you are doing Zuhud from the hereafter of the greater amount of riches and wealth and you're focusing on this small amount so that zuhud this is this is just the term at the end of the day the focus at the end of the day you can call whatever you want whatever you want but at the end of the day it's the substance that matters so if the focus is on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and we use the dunya we use means we have dunya all around us today is not a time of zuhud is very difficult but it, it there is still a level of zuhud that can be practiced today which Obviously, it's a topic for another time. But the main thing that we have to realize is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is very generous. His favors are abundant. And a person should, in order to get close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, in this difficulty, in this constant failing that we have, we do good for a few days, a few weeks, and then after that we lose it again. We have to keep asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because He is generous. We know that He's generous. Because he, we know that He is the God and He is the King. He is the ruler. 
He is the turner of the hearts and he is the, the same one who was the Lord of Junaid al-Baghdadi. He was the same Lord of all of these great people that we know of the past. Abu Uthman al-Hiri, Bayezid al-Bistami and all of these great, great people of the past. He is the same Lord that still stays today. He can still turn somebody into a Jilani Ghazali and that's why what we have to constantly do with of and think about is وَمَا تَوْفِيقِي إِلَّا بِاللَّهِ عَلَيْهِ تَوَكَّلْتُ وَإِلَيْهِ أُنِيبُ This is the verse of the Qur'an وَمَا تَوْفِيقِي إِلَّا بِاللَّهِ My tawfiq, my divine guidance, my providence Tawfiq means for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make a servant's actions in conformance to what Allah wants and what Allah is pleased with that tawfiq can only come from Allah because it needs divine intervention. We can try ourselves, but if there's no tawfiq, then we won't be divinely inspired to do the right thing. So we constantly pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, وَمَا تَوْفِيقِ إِلَّا بِاللَّهِ We confess, Oh Allah, my tawfiq is only with Allah. عَلَيْهِ تَوَكَّلْتُ It is Him that I have relied upon. This is what you call tasawf is self-effacement. I have no dependence on myself. It's all about Allah. عَلَيْهِ تَوَكَّلْتُ وَإِلَيْهِ أُنِيبُ On Him do I rely and to Him do I turn for refuge. Inabat means to turn to somebody for refuge, cutting away from everything else. So my tawfiq is only with Allah. وَمَا تَوْفِيقِ إِلَّا بِاللَّهِ عَلَيْهِ تَوَكَّلْتُ وَإِلَيْهِ أُنِيبُ This is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Qur'an. This is what Allah reveals in the Quran. This is the kind of dua we need to make. This is the state of, we don't have to even say it in the same words, but this should be our state. Oh Allah, I, I have nothing. I can only rely on you. Your to my tawfiq can only come from you. This is a state we need to uh, develop within us. And one thing that we have to remember is that tasawwuf is not the number of, is not the name of terms and words and descriptions. That's not what tasawwuf is. If you go and do an in-depth study of tasawwuf, you learn all of these things. They say that sometimes somebody holds a, you know, there was some, some time, some time ago, somebody held a course on tasawwuf for two weeks. Now, we also held a course on tasawwuf, but that was an, an academic. We, we made it very clear, you're not going to become a Sufi at the end of this. This was an academic exposition of what the history of tasawwuf was and is and what happened and how it developed and where it is and what it is. It was not to say that you will come here and you will become a wali of Allah. It's here so that you can understand the reality of this way so that inshallah you'll become inspired to do something. So tasawwuf is not a collection of words or concepts or terms. It is practice, it's kayfiyat, it's a state that you get into through exertion. Tasawwuf you can't get there just nothing. The fact that you've come, we've all attended a majlis, that is exertion. We're going to get benefit from that. The fact that we sit down to do dhikr, then that's exertion. The, the fact that sometimes, we, you know, we, every few days, sometimes we don't have a majlis or whatever, then you should listen to, uh, you should listen to a majlis. You should listen to shuyukh speaking about this. This is exertion, to take time out and do something that is exertion. Through exertions, it will change our heart slowly, slowly. It's a state that we become in. So just knowing lots of words, that's just an academic study. The real thing of this is that we begin to change. There is some a state that comes into our heart. That's what makes a difference. So tasawwuf cannot be done as a course. Two, two, two weeks, three weeks, even a month course, right? Or a weekend course. The only course here is where you 
the only course, if you can call it a course, is that you associate yourself with a sheikh. If there's a khanka, you sit in there for a very long time, then you get some kafiyat. But again, it's just a, 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 a one of the, uh, the, the steps towards the right direction. At the end of the day, we will try our best, inshallah, until our death. And we make this a way of our life. It is not a course we take and come back from. It is not something we do part-time. It is something that we have to do full-time. That becomes our state. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then make that the state of our hearts and make it not just that we have knowledge of it, but true amal and practice upon it. So it has to be something of an experience as opposed to just a study. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us the reality of it. May Allah make it easy for us to do this in this time and age and may Allah keep us steadfast on this. Jazakallah khair for listening. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, bless you. And if you're finding this useful, you know, um, uh, as they say, do that like button and subscribe button and forward it on to others. Jazakallah khair and assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.